0: Hello everyone, welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips. In today's episode, I'm talking to Dr Peter Shaw all about springtails, this interview took place over Zoom and the quality did drop out a couple of times but I've left most of it in and I've done what I can to clean it up a bit. Hello Peter. Hello Neil. Thanks for joining us on the show. Can you introduce yourself to people so they know who you are please? Sure. My name
1: is Dr Peter Shaw. I am the UK recorder for a group of animals called Columbola or Slingtails. I did my PhD in them 40 years ago and
0: Never quite give up the habit somehow. We're going to start the show with our latest sightings. And as the guest, Peter, you get to go first. Have you had any interesting recent wildlife sightings? (laughs) I
1: hesitate to call Springtail's wildlife sightings. (laughs) There is a pretty one which is well worth watching out for, easily found, very distinctive, which is a light pink thing that looks like a small teddy bear. It's called Bilabella rauneri. It's not brown, it's pink, isn't it? It's all hair brown. But it lives under the bark of logs and it wasn't known in this country until I found some about 10 years ago. It seems to be expanding quite rapidly. I've now got four or five sightings of it. People just turn over the log and look at the little things under the bark and they're bright
0: pink and they're walking around in large numbers. So keep an eye out for little pink things under bark, yes. Oh, that's a good one to look for. Nice, distinctive pink. My recent sightings. Much to the amusement of regular listeners will be another bird. Well, three birds. They were white-tailed sea eagles. So I saw none on my trip up to Scotland. Some of you will know I made last summer. But I went to Pulbra Brooks in, I think it's Sussex. I mean, it's still Sussex there. Yes, yes. Yeah. And there were a pair flying around, which was really cool. Long way off across the valley from the visitor centre. But, you know, white-tailed sea eagles, three metres across. Still were, you know, even that distance is still quite spectacular. And then a juvenile came in and the pair weren't happy with that and they chased it out and interlocked talons with it and fell down to the ground and were mobbing it on the ground as well. So that was quite spectacular to see. I've actually got some video of it. So keep your eyes out on my YouTube channel for that. But yeah, that was quite a good sighting. Some gold crests and lots of the usual suspects, you know, lap wings and various other waders and ducks. So it was quite a nice day out. And I caught up with my friend Richard as well, who I know listens to the show. So hello, Richard for the first time since lockdown, I think. So I should probably say Richard was the highlight, but he'll forgive me for saying the eagles, I think. Peter, we're here to talk springtails. So can you explain for those that don't know, what is a springtail?
1: A springtail is, well,
0: I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you
1: what, what people used to think it is. It's much easier. Yeah. People used to call them wingless insects, primitive wingless insects. Easy to understand. And I'm afraid we now know it's not correct it's a good first approximation. Hmm. So if you poke around in any soil, up any tree, any bit of decaying bark, you will find some little insects, Hmm. little things running around with six legs, but no wings. And if you poke them, they can often jump quite a long way, 10 or 20 times their body length. And these are often called springtails. In fact, quite a lot of them don't jump. So they're (laughs) springtails without a spring. The correct name is colimbola, which means sticky tube. It comes from the ventral tube, which they do all have. Some of them can indeed stick to things with their ventral tubes, and the scientific name is slightly more sensible. Very common pretty much everywhere. You're looking at something like 10,000 per square metre in a typical soil, but most of them are less than a millimetre long, so you don't know the numbers. You have to look at the microscope to see them. The bigger ones, you can see with the naked eye, maybe a centimetre long. They're the lower densities, maybe just 10 or 20 per square metre.
0: Ooh. So they're, they're pretty common things,
1: then. They are one of the commonest overlooked groups, I would say. Anyone who's got a nature reserve, like me, and want to add some species to your list, something entails them. You add 20 species, guaranteed.
0: Yeah, there's a lot about so we've kind of covered where to find so basically any habitat really with any water. Do they do, do they need water? Do they need damp? They environment? need water,
1: yeah. So you,
0: most of them need fresh water.
1: And so soil and compost are typical. There's a few by the sea, not many, but where you get them, there's quite a lot of them. And in fact that one of the distinctive seaside animals are little black things on seaweed between the tides called Anulida maritima the sea springtail. tail. If you look in piles of decaying seaweed on beaches, lots often quite an unusual species found there. I think I've got a new species to science in the coast of Yorkshire, in seaweed on the coast. But yeah, what they don't like is being hot and dry. Only very few species can cope with that.
0: Am I correct in saying winter and perhaps early spring are the best time of years to find them? I would say late autumn, hmm. because that's when you get the most piles of
1: decaying leaves lying around. Ah, so highest densities in late autumn, early winter. Um, there's a small peak in spring, and to be honest, in summer they can be pretty boring because it dries up too much, so they become inaccessible. I had a student come over to do a project for me on springtails in summer. I think she didn't believe they existed, poor girl. <laughs> yeah.
0: spent a yeah. month chasing them and couldn't find them. But when it's in the middle of a drought, <laughs>
1: I guess. No, so like, exactly <laughs> so.
0: Not easy to find. So what are these springtails eating? Are they all, de- I said, what's the word, detritivore, the word I'm looking for, isn't it? Eating leaf litter and stuff? or the
1: word is detritivore. What detritivore means is we don't know what they eat, so we're going to give it a name to make it look like we do know. Detritivores <laughs> actually do not eat randomly. We're sure of that. They target some things particularly. And we now use things like isotopes and nitrogen and carbon ask what sort of food things eat, and get all sorts of surprises. So some of the are specialized in some bacteria or some fungi or some stages of leaf decay. These springtails feed on different things. The first approximation, they like fungi, fungal spores, fungal mycelium. And if you want to find springtails easily, look underneath a mushroom with a lens. And on the gills, you'll find springtails nibbling away on the gills, eating the spores. In the soil, they feed on mycelium, and then isotopic work, showing that some of them that look like innocent harmful teddy bears have the isotopic signature of a of a high-level predator. Probably they're feeding on dead things when those as a alive isotopic transfers the same. But yeah, they're fairly varied. Fungi or dead animals seem to be quite popular.
0: Are they quite an important part of the breaking down of matter in the soil, then? Yes, they're one of the integral parts of the... Decomposition of vegetable
1: matter, yes. I hesitate to say it wouldn't happen without them. I feel the mites would take over if you killed them all. But in most competencies, most of the time, a lot of nibbling has been done by
0: springtails, yes. Do they get eaten by lots of things? I imagine they do, being so small. Well, again,
1: it's, it's quite a hard question to ask they're so small that it's quite hard to see what's feeding on them. Again, we need isotopic work and DNA work. It looks like some spiders and some beetles are specialised in targeting this group, yes. And just this year, I got the most amazing, beautiful photograph of the smallest European bird, the goldcrest. You can see in its springtail, is just picked up by a the species, Entenobriar albacinta. <laughs> so we know at least one springtail is of by one
0: bird. Oh, there we go. So at least one. I suppose the, the scour of these things, I imagine, I suppose the one centimetre long things would be eaten by a few of the small birds, but if they're... Smaller than a millimetre, there's going to be a very observant bird to pick them out, I should imagine. Well, that
1: size is mite, much more mite, I think, and smiders. And certain beetles with mouth parts evolved to catch springtails.
0: Yeah, there's that that tiny little ground beetle. Is it Bembidon or something Bemidon. like that?
1: yes, Bembidon.
0: Oh, gosh, I just suddenly came out of the depth of my brain somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> They've got the big eyes, haven't they? And they, they hunt around. You quite often find them near ponds. That's why I know them because I like me pond creatures. It's funny you should say you identified the springtail from a picture of a bird. I quite often, when I see people with kingfisher pictures, with a kingfisher with something in its beak, and quite often it's not a fish. And it's almost like a very sad hobby of mine that I try and identify what pond creature they're got in their beak. <laughs> whether it's my photo or someone else's, and whether they want me to idea it or not, I'll send them an identification. <laughs> so we've kind of mentioned already that they were insects. So I've got old books from my childhood that say they're insects but they're not anymore. They're part of hexapods, which insects are also part of, but they're a separate branch of these now, aren't they? So that's six-legged invertebrates, pretty much.
1: Currently, they clash with insects in the group called the pan mm. which includes insects, springtails, and crustacea. Mm. And they all come out of, basically, insects and springtails separately, evolved from ancestors that crawled out of the sea in the Devonian. And in both cases, the ancestor was a station close to Artemia vinescent. Oh, really? Clearly not a really. modern species, but yeah, very similar to that. And then one group became insects, one group became springtails. So they, it's, quite, it's taken DNA work to resolve the fact
0: that insects and springtails had a common ancestor, yes, but quite a long time ago. Basically, when invertebrates came onto the land, they split up sometime around then and- a lot
1: of things came out of the land at the same time yeah. and a lot of lions did very well and a lot of lions disappeared and a lot of lions did sort of okay there's an amazing deposit in Scotland called the Liny Chert, which is one of the most amazing deposits on the planet and in Italy you've got an entire Devonian swamp, a bog got turned into agate in seconds and that you can see individual cells of the plants in there and then springtails in there which look it's like modern springtails, on the nibbling the VA mycorrhizas, and we've got BA mycorrhizas there, and we've got vesicles and we've got springtails. And then the dominant carnivores are things called cygnetarbids, which are spider like things, which are either totally extinct or become lysinulids, really obscure things in the rainforests. And I mean, dominant of the Devonian, they're now the best and nerdy little
0: side. Yeah, I remember reading about the Rhiney tur and it's went. What they call it? and preservation, Lagerstarten, isn't it? Starter. Yeah, yeah. You can tell I did paleontology at university, and I know words like that. So they, they literally, I, it's hard to say, I hate the term living fossil should never be used unless it's the same species, but they are, like you said, they're very similar, so it's obviously a successful design. I'm Devonian. How long ago is that? Is that 4? 4... 410. So, so you need a microscope to identify most of these species, don't you? Sadly,
1: yes. Someone's a long time ago, and of course said that when you're young you start off with big things like birds and mammals and as you get older you get into smaller things just as your eyes pack up. Bloody <laughs> true. <22. laughs> so yes you do have they need a decent microscope to have a chance of naming them properly. And really you want two you want a dissecting microscope to have a look at the outsides and then you want a compound microscope look at the hairs
0: on the legs. Yeah you were telling me earlier there's how you identify some species is was it the the t- the shape of hairs on the legs was it? One species, it's
1: the oh. division within between two families. Oh my God! It concerns the shape of the hair, end of the hairs next to the foot, and in one entire family the hairs are pointed. In the entire family, they're clubbed, and you have to find these under the times four hundred microscope to get any further.
0: Oh, this is where I have the most respect for entomologists like you, because my patience isn't quite that good. I mean, I, I should never, ever complain about not being able to see a marking on a damselfly, because <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting in the wrong angle. So so how many species are we talking in the UK? In the UK, well, yeah, hmm, I should know this. It's my job <laughs> to know it.
1: Say 400. It's one of these things, it's about oh, that time, or well, a list of names, I can email the name list. But as soon as you get down to what you mean by a species. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's right. It starts getting really flaky at the boundaries. And simultaneously, you find that the old books have got 10 or 20 things which probably had have lumped together. Then there's another 10 or 20 new things which aren't in the books at all because they're alien invaders. And then the DNA work says that one common species in fact six different species. And then, yeah, that's right. And the whole thing becomes really blurry at the boundaries each genus needs at least a PhD to really get the de- genetics sorted out properly to work out what's really there.
0: Oh,
1: and that... in the absence of something like fifty PhDs, let's say there's about four hundred species, but there's somewhere the boundary is a bit unclear.
0: Yeah, and let's let's stay away from the species concept and the problems with it because that's like a series of podcasts on its own. I think <laughs> for most of them you need the microscope, but there's a few you can. At least have a reasonable guess at, isn't there? Like you've mentioned the the two already. There's two teddy bear like ones, one's big and grey, near neula
1: one's big and pink, and that's by labella, And mm-hmm. you can do those with a decent magnifying glass quite easily. Some of the termotolids as well, particularly in Scotland and the leaflets are there. You can see big grey things which jump. When I say big, I mean about a centimetre. It's all relative. So, yeah, that's big. <laughs> And that's you know, the genus stamp but that's Tomocelus, the longhorn. If you look at them carefully, you find the antenna it's as long as the body. And there's one way, look at the antenna, and it, it's not as long. It curls into a beautiful three or four-layered circle, spiral. And that gives the species. That's longicornis, Tomocelus longicornis, the longhorned one. Annoyingly, someone put in a new genus now, Pogononethelis, which is oh. much harder to spell. I wish they wouldn't do that. But yeah, just go a Longicorn. corner. It doesn't know what you mean.
0: Yeah, I, um, I think if someone renames a genus or genus, sorry, they should, uh, yeah, they should, there should be a rule about it being nicer than the one it's come from because some of these new genus names or something are horrible or, or no, definitely not harder to say, at least, because that's not, they're apparent. harder to spell. I know. There's, there's a funk called clitorcybin that's become
1: infindibuliformis. I could oh. spell clitorcybin, but I can't spell that one. It's too complicated.
0: I mean, well, you mentioned before you do a lot of fungi as well. And that's been a bit of a, a bit of controversy really with some of the recent names I've heard. A friend of mine who, who is known as Fungi John has completely given up on fungi because of it. That's how bad <laughs> it's gone. But I've I've gone off on a tangent like I'm very guilty of, but you were talking springtail species we can actually identify, so I'll give you one other which I'd like people to watch out for, and I'd genuinely like people
1: to watch out for this and to tell you about it, or tell me if I have any, which is the pond tail, Podura Aquatica. And this is the one that lives on the surface of ponds, and according to the old books, it's really common, and it's black, and it jumps on the water surface. And I've only found it once, and I don't think it's common at all, I think it's very scarce indeed, but it's meant to be common. I've got, this Victorian authors describe it by being gunpowder, the edge of the pond just swarming and milling around with thousands of these. And I found them one. So if if anyone finds black things jumping in the pond, send me a photograph and a map of Even better, some specimens. But I'll forgive you if you don't.
0: Now, we did briefly talk about this before the podcast, as most people probably worked out. And I did mention to you that I think I've found some of these. And I've just realized that it was on newt survey. So maybe are they possibly nocturnal? Would you would you still have seen if they're nocturnal? No. Not nocturnal, definitely no, not. No. Oh, maybe it's just where I've it just so happened to be that I was out at night shining the torch, which is why I saw them. I don't know. But I'm gonna send you i s I'll send you the photos and There's a minutes. new way to find them. Yeah, that means
1: pond pondage leaflets in the telegram tunnel and then you cook them out. Mm,
0: yeah. <laughs> Because a lot of aquatic pond creatures come out and are a lot more active at night. I just wonder if springtails, if that could be the case again, but maybe not.
1: They've got nowhere to go. They live on the water surface. They can't hide.
0: That's true, yeah. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. if you're sitting in the middle of a pond, I guess, <laughs> you can't really hide. Having yeah. said that,
1: yeah. I would say that there's other springtails which also spring on the surface of the water, which do mm. not podge you other. They're not black. They're green or maybe bluish. Mm. They're quite common. Now I always I take records of them, but if they're not. I'm not searching for them in the same way. Every pond will have cymothoides, of yeah. if you have one other. are
0: they, they're the they're the globular ones, aren't they? They're the round. Globular, yes, that's nice. yeah, So, so if, if anyone's seen a picture in a text of a springtail, it's probably one of those. I find they people seem to like those ones best. They've got the most weird mating habits.
1: So the entire family is defined by the shape of the antennae in the male. In the male, the antennae. Is strange hook-like shapes, like a little deer's antlers. And these are for locking onto females. And they lock onto the females on the water surface and get carried down by the females.
0: Fantastic. Weird little things. I love things like that. So, talking of reproduction, how do they reproduce? Are they egg layers? Do they give birth to live young? or No,
1: they are egg layers. Mm. And they've got a system which... Well, it's a bit like scorpions do the same thing. So mm. the male put his sperm on a stalk, and the female sits on the sperm... And lays an egg on it. So, the male has to persuade the female to sit on his uh, sperm stalk. And this is a sad film of a male swing tail doing a dance, it's complicated dances to the female, and the head butts and potted lovingly in front of his girlfriend a big stalk with a big blob of s- semen on it, which must be a day's worth of energy collection at least. And she takes one look at it and eats it and walks away. <laughs> When <laughs> oh. Springtail ever looked pissed off He looked sad about that
0: Oh, poor Springtail <laughs> Fantastic We
1: don't know much about their mating habits But that's how they do it
0: Yeah, it's a very probably quite hard to observe Something that small But oh, that sounds like a challenge To try and film in the future, maybe
1: There was some work done in the University of Amsterdam On the mating habits of Arkansas And indeed they spent hours and hours and hours Filming exactly that kind of behaviour
0: Oh, amazing I love stuff like that It's really good so we mentioned earlier they have a weird what's the word I've got like tube? Is it a pair of tubes on the bottom? I can't remember now. It's just one tube. It's just one tube, and there's there's some sort of mystery around its use and what its purpose is really, isn't there?
1: Well, I think we've got a fairly good idea now. It's called the ventral tube, and it's definitely involved in water absorption. So we know that they can drink water, see on it, mm. and they can absorb. Moisture. They can also adhere to surfaces. In many springtails, we've never seen them do anything with it at all. But there's one group of the globular springtails which have the most amazingly long dental tube that they can protrude like an elephant's trunk. They can put it out twice their body length. Oh, wow. put the tube out of distance and suck water with it. Or if they land on their back, they can put this tube out and stick it to the surface and pull themselves upright again,
0: oh, wow. like an elephant's trunk with a sticky packed on the end. Weird. Yeah. We've talked spring towels, but we haven't talked about the spring towel that much. So can you explain? I believe it's two furca or something I read many years well ago. Well done, indeed. Yes, hey, yes, it's... I know some terminology. Uh,
1: they do not jump with their legs. They jump yeah. with organ, which used to be a pair of legs 400 million years ago. It's called a firca, furca, F-U-R-C-A. I'm very careful how you say that. It's Latin for pitchfork. It, it, it It's a, a used pair of legs, two legs stuck together, each with a spine at the end. And it's a unique to swingtail. Nothing else got quite like it. And it allows them to store the energy in their body and to jump maybe ten times their body length. It can't aim very well. The useless factoid is that one of the lobular swingtails, when it jumps, the highest rotational speed of any animal, it's sitting in the air hundreds of times a minute. I don't know why. It landed and landed. it's an escape mechanism that's all.
0: Yeah, I imagine it makes it hard to track the head which predators want to aim for, I guess, might be part of it. Uh,
1: it's clearly evolved to get away from spiders and things, yes.
0: Yeah. And the
1: general rule of thumb is that you can tell where the springtail lives by how big its furka is. If it lives underground, its furca is non-existent because you can't jump underground. If it lives somewhere where it can jump, it's got a big furca. More or less tells within a few millimetres where in the soil profile they live. It's about the size of the furka. Evolution is quite brutal don't need a jumping organ. You don't have a jumping organ.
0: Makes sense. I do remember finding many years ago, was that white spring towel that can't jump? I call them the white sausages. <laughs> and they're <laughs> all
1: white sausagey and can't jump. And to get any further, you, it's not just hair. They're much, much worse than hairs yeah. on the legs. Hairs on the legs are easy. Onycaiurids, you've got to make them transparent with acid and dissolve
0: them so enough so you can see through them but not dissolve them away completely and count holes in their skin. For a group as complex as springtails, which we summarised them quite nicely there. But as the recorder, if someone finds a springtail, how would they record it? Email, or even better photograph, or even better still. To be honest, I generally
1: like a specimen. There's something I can do about photographs. If in doubt, what you do is you pop it into some gin or some vodka, post it to my university. It'll keep perfectly well. Yeah. If, it'll, if it dries out, it's unusable. If it's in water, it'll decay. Yeah. If it's in a bit of alcohol, meths, isopropanol, any of those, it's fine. It'll keep.
0: So put a specimen, if you can get it, if you can catch it. They're not the easiest things to photograph, let alone catch sometimes. But So, so how, how would you catch them, actually? Is there like a method? Uh, is it sipping? Yes. And... The standard technique
1: is you put some soil or some compost into a funnel, and you arrange it so the, the compost is sitting on a mesh and can't all fall down the bottom. Then you put a funnel, a little collecting tube down the bottom with some alcohol in, and a desk lamp with a hot, old-fashioned filament bowl over the top, and the soil dries out slowly, and the animals have the choice of staying where they are and being cooked, or they jump out the bottom. Yeah. It's called a Tobin funnel, and they jump out the bottom into your tube. And they go out the best way possible,
0: drowning in alcohol.
1: <laughs> yeah, indeed, yes, die really quickly. <laughs> die happy. Um, what I would say is that you need the old fashioned filament bulbs. Mm. Modern efficient LED bulbs are useless because they're cold.
0: Yeah, oh, I, f- I think somebody used the heat lamp bulbs from yeah, uh, well, uh, reptiles and stuff. Bulb. Yeah, well, anything
1: that keeps it warm and warm. Mm. And the light alone is no use, light doesn't do the job.
0: Well, I should have known the answer to that question because I did exactly that with an education group last month. So, and I did it as a child <laughs> as well. So, I should have known the answer to that question. But there we go. So, because I have tried sieving leaf litter and stuff, but I guess it's nowhere near as efficient. It's quite hard it? work. You can find yeah. a few
1: bigger ones. Yeah. But yeah. unless you're very sharp, I've done this with students and even sharp eyed students working hard, mm. you know, that you can get 20 of them come out of woodland after two hours' work with a handful of spinning yeah. And there's ten thousand per square meter. <laughs> it's not very efficient. Is it? it's not efficient. No.
0: Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, if you get ten centimeters squared of oh god, I can't do the maths now. There's at least a hundred springtails in that if it's ten centimeters yeah. squared, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I think but that's they've the all math.
1: jumped away. They've been overlooked as bits of dirt. Yeah. Uh, you, you need the technology.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can vouch for when I'm trying to photograph them that you zoom in and find one. And even with the narrow depth of field, you still find loads of other things—mites and springtails—in there. So, yeah,
1: there's some amazingly good macro photographs out there. Yeah, with people got really good kit, and they've got superb details of the hairs on the antennae and this kind of thing. How their lens ever stays still long enough? No idea.
0: No, I, I don't know. do not I've only pulled off a few springtail shots over the years. And, yeah, <laughs> they tend to jump just as you get focused on them as well. But there we go. Peter, it's been great talking to you about swingtails. They're a lovely group. I think they they're literally are overlooked in both centres of oh, the world. Absolutely,
1: totally, literally, yes. That's
0: right. If people want to contact you to send a record to you, what's the best way of doing so? The
1: best way is via my
0: university. Mm-hmm. So they can drop me a,
1: an email, my university address, p.shaw mm. at thoughhampton.com or post specimens to me in the biology department care of a technician called lindsey cheeseman so peter shaw care of Lindsay cheeseman whitelands college sw154jd and that'll get to me i might not reply very quickly i'm not in the country all the time but who in the country i'll reply an email i pick up most days do are you on social media at all there's a Facebook group about springtails, yeah. and I keep an eye on that. So okay. yes, that's another good solution. Join up the Facebook Springtail group.
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to remember that. If I'm not, I will be at the end of this conversation. So <laughs> brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Peter. Thanks for coming well, on the thank show. Thank
1: you very much, Cynthia. Thank you for the tip of pulled the books. I'll be down there looking for eagles.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Just wanted to say a big thank you to all of you that have been listening The last two episodes have gone to number one in the UK nature chart, so that's been really nice. Big thank you to all of you that have left reviews, and a really big thank you to all of you that have bought us a coffee. We'll do some more personal thank yous and read out some comments in the next episode, if time allows. And that's going to be a great episode, because we had the producer from the upcoming BBC Wild Isle series, which is a blue chip, i.e. a Planet Earth-style programme on just British wildlife. So really looking forward to that. And the episode we recorded the other day was really good. So, yeah, do tune in to that show. It's sometime in March, early March. and The adverts will be everywhere soon. And our podcast episode on that will come out straight after the first episode of Wild Isles has broadcast. So do look out for that. I might even try live tweeting about the episode as it's on. So I'll put Zank out on Twitter and let you know if I do. But for now, that's it from me. Go out and enjoy spring. Well, the very start of spring, I guess, and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.
1: Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcast or whichever podcast service you use.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod or one word,
1: or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast
0: and like us on our facebook page uk wildlife podcast and you can also post to the uk wildlife podcast community group
1: If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UKWildlifePodcast.
0: And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UKWildlifePod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips and music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.